0: Welcome back to The Lead, a podcast about content marketing by Copyblogger Media. I'm your host, Jared Morris. If you want to get a content marketing education while you're out on a walk or dangling your feet off a dock, this podcast is the way to do it. Though perhaps not this episode, unless it's going to be a really long walk or you want to be sitting there for a while. Because we are eschewing our usual 15 minutes or less time restriction to bring you this special edition of The Lead. It's called the Hangout Hot Seat, and it features none other than CopyBlogger founder and CEO Brian Clark. The goal of these Hangout Hot Seats is twofold. One, we want to teach you a few important lessons, like always, that will help your online business, and let you get to know a member of the CopyBlogger family better. Two, We want to showcase the versatility and usefulness of Google Hangouts. The audio you are about to hear won't be quite as crisp and clear as my voice is right now, but it'll still be pretty doggone good. That audio was taken right off the YouTube video that was created immediately after we recorded this Google Hangout and then slapped between this intro and my outro with zero effects added to create this podcast. And if you go to copyblogger.com slash hotseat, two words – you'll see that in less than an hour's time, we were able to create a piece of video content, a podcast, and a transcript. And the sound effects you hear all included as part of Hangouts. So, I really hope you enjoy this episode of the Hangout Hot Seat featuring me, Damian, and Brian. It's longer than usual, a little over 40 minutes, but you'll learn useful information like how to do native advertising right and get Brian's thoughts on why we shut down comments on the blog. And you'll also learn fun stuff, like what Brian's first ever concert was, and what he thinks is the most satisfying book mention of his career. Oh, and who he thinks Damien looks like. Yeah, you won't want to miss that. Friends, I present to you the first episode of the Hangout Hot Seat. Enjoy. Enjoy. All right, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of the Hangout Hot Seat, the show where we ask questions both useful and fun so that you can learn a little something and get to know a member of the Copyblogger family better. And speaking of the hot seat, when your first guest is your boss and CEO, who's really on the hot seat? <laughs> Joining Dave and I today, all the way from Boulder, Colorado, is Copyblogger CEO, Brian Clark. Brian, welcome to the show. Are you ready for the hot seat?
1: I am, and I think everyone knows that you guys actually run the show. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So here are the ground rules, real quick. Damien and I are going to go back and forth asking you questions, and you're going to have about thirty to forty-five seconds to answer each one. When you hear the ticking sound, assuming I'm bold enough to play it while you're talking, uh, that means that you know your time is running out, and we ask that you Just please like finish the, the answer.
1: Oscars music. Thing. <laughs> yes. Now exactly. I don't have executive privilege to override that, right? <laughs> right.
0: You can talk right through it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um and then when you're done, we will then judge your answer and give you either applause or probably very rarely the sad trombone. Oh,
1: this is great. I love and,
0: it. And Damien's gonna be keeping track so that we'll be able to tally it up at the end.
2: This okay. was this was Jess's score. Yes. Just so you know. That's what you're aiming for.
0: Nine point yep. seven six. Oh I, I can take Jess. That's the goal. <laughs> Okay, so our very first question to kick things off. The tagline for New Rainmaker is media, not marketing. What does this mean in a nutshell?
1: In a nutshell, it's a different way of explaining content marketing because content marketing is probably the worst phrase ever invented to describe what we do Um online in order to effectively market so it's not creating some keyword stuff content because Google wants you to create content it's not just creating some stuff because people want to share content on social media it's really taking this media first uh, approach to marketing in which you give valuable information like would appear in a magazine or a cable television show you get the idea or a radio broadcast or, you know, the analogous thing for hangouts and giving people something useful that they might want to consume as opposed to your marketing spiel, which they don't, but it all ties together to what you do as a business.
0: Excellent
2: answer. Applause. Can it be uh, entertainment too?
1: It can be. I mean, what we think is entertaining may not be <laughs> shared by, for example, this. Uh, but <laughs> we're having a good time. Um, I just lost the point there. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, going back to the early days of Copyblogger, um, it's kind of normal now, but no one was making pop culture analogies to try to teach online marketing, um, you know, So that was my way of trying to make it entertaining and engaging, but also educational. And again, that's why I use cable television shows like Mythbusters or Love It or Listed or all of these things. They're entertaining, but they teach you something in the process. That's the idea.
2: Right. Good. All right, Brian. So we're coming up on the third anniversary of Google Plus. What are your thoughts about Google Plus now? Anything changed? Still a must in the content marketers toolbox? And why?
1: I love Google Plus. Always have. That hasn't changed. Um, I don't spend as much time on it because I just don't have as much time. But uh, the interesting thing is, you know, Facebook keeps sticking it to people in, you know, marketers mainly. Um, Facebook has its own issues where they've got more money than, in, you know, actual. Passion in their community anymore, so they have to go buy WhatsApp and and all this kind of thing. So that remains to be seen what happens to Facebook, um, but I do think it's an opportunity that remains for Google Plus. The other thing is Twitter is basically going to overhaul everything that made it what it is, so that it be can become more like Facebook, I guess, you know. Um, So that's effectively going to have more and more people looking at Google Plus, because guess what? Google doesn't need to make money from Google Plus um, like Twitter does, like Facebook does. It's, Mm -hmm. It's a data collection outpost that fuels their main business. Now, will eventually you get ads on Google Plus? Sure, but it's not gonna be horrible. Google Plus can always hang back and say, you guys go ahead and screw it up, and we'll wait and welcome everyone with open arms. And I really think this year you may see more migration. People have stopped hating on Google Plus quite so much because they're like, "Wait a minute, this may be our viable alternative." Mm, what What
2: one thing can Google uh, Plus do uh, to make it better, and what one thing would you like to see improve on it?
1: I love the way you know the the way comments work, the way rich media works. It's very friendly. What they can do is leave their hands off of it from a monetization standpoint. Get the crowd over here because number one, you get the direct benefit of access to what's working as far as content. They don't have any access to Facebook and they don't have access really anymore to Twitter because they don't have the firehose agreement. So Matt Cutts has said we don't use those two platforms in our algorithm because we can't trust that we're getting an accurate signal. They've got that with Google Plus, so but what they need to do is just make sure more of the crowd comes over and they've got really an amazing data platform.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That was is, that a, is that a golf clap, Jared?
0: <laughs> no, no. That was, a, that was a legit clap. We're going to go back to talking about Google in a second too, so kind of hold that thought. but. I want to ask you about music, because you're obviously a big music lover, and so I want to ask you specifically about uh, concerts. What's the best concert that you've ever been to, uh, the last one that you went to, and then the next one that you want to go see?
1: Oh, man. Those last two are tough, because I'm old now, in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> and by the time the concert starts, I'm usually asleep at this point. <laughs> it, <they've> got. <laughs> We've got two great um, theaters here in Boulder for the Fox and the Boulder Theater, and they're great bands coming through all the time, and I've yet to be to either one in two years. <laughs> but um, I'm going to cheat and say, let's see. Okay, my first concert was Kiss in fifth grade. Which wow. Awesome. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I went with my friend's um, – uh, little kid, we're all little kids, but (laughs) my friend's mom took us, you know, my parents, God, no, they wouldn't do that. Um, But I was like, what's that funny smell in the air? And now, (laughs) speaking of Boulder, that's what I smell everywhere I go. So (laughs) talk about joining your your childhood. That was the first first
2: concert my wife ever been to, was a KISS concert too.
1: Really? I mean, yeah, if you're Gen X and you can say your first concert was KISS in the fifth grade, that's like... (laughs) Red points right there. Yeah. Um,
2: All right. Hey. So, speaking of bands, why in the
1: world do you like the Foo Fighters so much? I'm not sure I like them so much. I just started Foo Fighters Friday because I like alliteration. I mean, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. I like Dave Grohl a lot. I think he's a awesome guy. I don't religiously listen to Foo Fighters music, though.
2: All right, all right. So did it upset you? So I'm a big Kurt Coban fan. When he died, you know, I remember exactly where I was, but the idea of David Grohl going up and now now being the front man of a band really upset me. Did that do it to you, too?
1: No. No. I mean, I even said this once on Twitter, which got mixed reaction, like a lot of things I say on Twitter. Um <laughs> But I was like, you know, Dave Grohl's the hero, not Kurt Cobain, because Cobain, yeah, it's really hard to say. Yes, I'm like you at that time. I identified with him. I was 26, and I knew all well the 27 Club that he joined, and I was a very angry, self-destructive young man at the time. So, at that point, literally, I was like, ah, that's next year. I don't think I'm ready to go. So, right. you know, by the time I was 30, I had completely reinvented my life. So it's like. There are, you know, it's like Zeppelin said, Damien. There are two, what is it, two paths you could go, but in the long, well, fuck. I
0: <laughs> that was a good answer.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, so I want to go back to talking about Google real quick. And on a recent episode of New Rainmaker with Robert Bruce, uh, you talked about how Google could become the next big movie studio. Uh, how would this occur, and why would it occur?
1: Well, that was just throwing out there the idea that. Companies like Coca-Cola, Apple, Google, Amazon have more money than any other media company on the planet by far. It's not even close, right? Like Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post himself with change that he had in his couch, okay? (laughs) So the idea on one hand that media is the most powerful influencer on the planet by far – combined with these companies that have better business models, when you put that together, that's what content marketing is. That's why we at CopyBlogger take a media-first approach to marketing, because it's more powerful and we can make more money, literally 10 times more, if you look at what our traffic is on CopyBlogger, how much we could make from an advertising model compared to the model that we have, right? So if Netflix can become a producer of original content, why can't Coca-Cola or Google or whatever? I recently spoke at SMX and instead of movies for Google, I had Google News on a slide and I crossed out news and put journalism. Because isn't Google already moving from the organizer of all the world's information to producing it? Or at least scraping it and putting it above the tough results, right? Um, is that really inconceivable for where Google might go? I don't think so. Okay.
0: All right. And, and speaking of original content, Damien, I'm going to ask you now to step aside because you won't get any of the references that I'm about to make here uh, because I want to ask Brian, I want you to rank the following shows, Breaking Bad, The Wire, and The Sopranos. And I'm leaving Mad Men out currently only because it's not finished
1: yet. You know the answer to this. It's Breaking bad. And
0: then where where would you rank the other two?
1: You know, um, I've never watched The Wire. So, and I've been told. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I had to get one sometime. Um, No, it's been recommended to me for years, and I just haven't gotten around to it. It's almost like it's too gritty. But.
0: Well, me, and I'll make this admission: I just, I just got started with it. I'm at the beginning of season three right now. I can oh, see why everybody right. loves it because so it's phenomenal. Right? Okay. Sad for myself.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, but yes, but I would rank Breaking Bad at
1: the top as well. All and right, so I don't need does. to watch the Wire then, right? <laughs> you just no, you st- Well, but you
0: still. Spoiler it's alert! Still, spoiler it's still,
1: alert! <laughs> it's still worth it though. I just got through watching True Detective, and I, I can't process where it ranks. In the overall scheme of thing, but that was pretty amazing. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, you got to see
0: it. You'll love it. <laughs> Damien, do you know? Do you do you know what we're talking about?
2: Nah, Damien I mean,
1: doesn't I mean, have a TV, does he?
2: <laughs> no, we do have a TV. We have a huge TV, but we have an antenna. Swear to God, have an antenna.
1: <laughs> so does Tony. That yeah, what's Just so I can antenna? watch
2: football. That's about it. That's the only thing I'll ever watch on TV is football. So or see? documentaries via Netflix or something like that. The we do watch thing, a lot of kids' movies though.
1: That surprises me because I would think he'd be watching television and not watching football. But <laughs> you don't look like the football type.
2: I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, long story on that. Hey, speaking of Breaking Bad, um, <clears throat> back in early 13, 2013, you said you might come out of retirement to kick my writing ass. Then you, not long after that, you skewered Jay Bear for writing a dumb headline. And, uh, I so did? Your 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 Twitter person your your Twitter persona is um, infamous for the harassment, right? So should people actually follow you and engage you on Twitter?
1: You've noticed that I've been much you have more muted on yes. Twitter. You've been mild. I'm too sure. busy
2: <laughs>
1: and too old, but I don't know. That Twitter is. to That's me, Twitter to me is just a goofy diversion and if you get my sense of humor then you know never to take me seriously but that's the thing when there's 160,000 people following you they don't all know me at all, all. right um, and so finally i just kind of said you know i'm tired of being misunderstood you know <laughs> is, is it really worth it to throw out some obscure funny thing that you know some people get but most people don't and the other thing is i tend to be fairly You know, on a range from ironic to sarcastic, that's me. (laughs) And it just amazes me because I I once read a statistic, and I don't know the exact uh, percentages, but an alarmingly large number of people can't detect irony or sarcasm. And our whole culture seems to be built on (laughs) irony and sarcasm. (laughs) So do people – are they – is like most of the population, like my mom, just going through life and it's all going (laughs) – I buy him? <laughs> oh, I just, I just save it for you guys, which you know, <laughs> Damien doesn't understand what I'm talking about, but Jared does. So it's <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right, And Damien must be in charge point. of the buttons. <laughs> no, he is. <laughs> no,
0: <I'm kidding. laughs>
1: no, i meant Jared. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> what that's Did funny. I say that one time? Wait, Jared. One of you's from Indiana and one's from Illinois and I confused the two and I said whatever up there. I was actually born. Now you know what our editorial meetings are like,
2: people Well my favorite part was man when I was on an edit because you know the the, the conference call phone calls are like you know, you can't understand crap anyway. And and (laughs) you're you're talking Ryan, you're talking, and you're going on and uh, you know, t- talking about somebody needs to do something, somebody needs to do something, and you're kind of giving directions and stuff like that. And then it dawns on me, he's talking about me. And the thing was, it's when you're pronouncing my name wrong.
1: And I was just like, oh, I need to tell him, man. <laughs> oh, that was a long time ago. That and was why, a long time why, ago. Who, who needs to spell Damien with an E? I mean. <laughs> Didn't you see the exorcist? Wait, no, it's the only. Yeah, we it. do have two Rottweilers if you want to borrow them. David. Yeah, right. <laughs> Jared, just quit it, man. <laughs> it's too much fun. Yeah. Okay, so getting back to this, the, everyone, I don't know, is enjoying this, but we are. So, mm-hmm.
2: All right, so hey, uh, so you, you comment on your Google Plus journalism thing. So, Um, Of course, journalists are worried that native advertising will skewer the truth, and I've gotten a few comments during this native advertising survey that, in essence, say, how are you going to keep a journalistic balance? And so my question for you, what's your response to that?
1: Um, Us? We've never... We've never tried to keep a journalistic balance. (laughs) We make it quite clear that we are trying to teach you and we are also in the process trying to sell stuff. Um, So we are transparent. And because we are marketers speaking to other marketers, early on I went kind of overboard on the transparency thing. I turned everything into a wink and a smile, a game, a spot the technique kind of thing. Um, and now you'll see that, um, a lot of people, especially in the startup world, um, but you know, people like Moz, Rand Fishkin is so transparent. He makes me squirm, you know, I mean, but, but that's the thing you're, you may wonder if this amount of transparency is right for you, but you'll never say, I think they're hiding something from me. Right. And I get in arguments with journalists all the time because I'm like, do you really believe you're objective? Not you, but journalism as a whole. Now, of course, everyone will say, "Okay, so Fox News, we know they're not objective." But but really is anyone to a certain degree? Any human being, the choice of words they use will demonstrate bias. I mean, anyone who understands cognitive psychology knows there is no such thing as objectivity. We are subjective beings. So we can try to be objective or we can adapt and we can just be ultra transparent. And I think we're going to end up debating about this quite a bit um, as you've seen, Damien. <laughs> um, but it's not going to change the fact that if you want journalism to exist, you're probably going to have to go with native ads. Because we can rat around everything else so easily, and that's why content marketing works better than advertising and traditional marketing, but there still has to be some way to fund um, models that aren't going to sell stuff. Like, if the Dallas Morning News can start selling software, you know, (laughs) it's just not gonna happen.
0: I'd like to. I want to talk about your hat, Brian. Yes. Um, For for those listening on the podcast, it's a Broncos hat, a Denver Broncos hat. How long did it take you to pull that back out and get it into the rotation after the events of early
1: February? So what's today? (laughs) Today is March twenty (laughs) fourth, and this is, as you know, is the only hat I had in the office after I got here. Realized I was about to be on video and had been moving. All morning from one house to another. So um, I'm not saying I'm not still proud of the Broncos, but I have not worn any Broncos gear until today, <laughs> and it's still kind of searing my head a little bit right now. Okay, so
0: before I ask you a follow-up question on native advertising, I want to ask you a Broncos question that I was thinking about as we as we prepped for this moment. Would you rather Cowboys? <laughs> hey, That's I'm no, cow- I'm, I'm not Cowboys. <laughs> Well, you, have, you No, and you have DeMarcus Ware now, so you took yeah. the Cowboys' heart and soul. But question about the Broncos. Would you rather have the next two or three years of Peyton Manning or would you rather have the next ten years, the career, of Johnny Manziel? And you are, of course, a supporter of the Aggies. Which would you choose? Wow. Um, Maybe should have given you some prep time on this one,
1: huh? Well, the, the question is, okay, at some point soon, Peyton will retire. That frees up, like, what, $18 million dollars. But there's no one you can go get who's going, that you know, you just can't swap out quarterbacks that way. So you're going to have to bring someone up, right? Now, I have a sentimental interest in Johnny, but I am not convinced he's going to make it. I mean, in the end, I mean, those guys are big. They really are. And one day you're not going to get that scramble done and boom. <laughs> Joe thoughtsman. Yep. That's <laughs> true. I don't know. I, I you know, I, I'm rooting for Johnny, but I think he's going to be with another team, and we'll let him try him out, and then we'll take eighteen million dollars and give it to him if he's so yeah.
0: <laughs> and, you, and you got a chance to get back to the Super Bowl the next couple of years. So. Yeah, good answer. All right. Uh, okay, yeah. So let me let me ask the real quick follow up question on native advertising. Then, what do you think is the single most important factor for doing native advertising right?
1: So I wrote this article over at Say Daily and and linked to it on Copyblogger um as a way to start the conversation you know more, some people don't even know what native advertising is which is is kind of surprising to me because there's been so much talk about it for the last year and a half um and there were really three things that I pointed out in that context but I'm going to boil it down to one which was the final part of that article which is you use native advertising to build an audience while traditionally with advertising we were simply buying someone else's audience temporarily. If you are smart in this environment and you have a long-term strategy in mind, then you effectively you're content marketing, but you need to accelerate that outreach and exposure. You know, Jared, you've started many blogs. Uh, Damien, you've started, you did CopyBot. I, you know, beginning days of copy were like crickets chirping for those first three months while I constantly tried to figure out a way. Exactly. It was, <laughs> that cricket actually, um, trying to get someone to notice it wasn't like the content's not good, but it still takes everyone that hustle period. And that's the whole concept of the minimum viable audience. When you get to that point, your life changes because the audience starts building itself until you get to that point. It can be lonely and you're going to have to spend time or money to get to the MBA. And I see native advertising as a way to accelerate that process, but you'd have to be silly to keep going back and paying them to borrow the audience when you can build your own. But I see a lot of short term thinking out there. It's just like run the ad, sell the product directly money now, you know, uh it, it's unfortunate because an audience gives you that compounded exponential return over time instead of just placing another ad it seems very uh disempowering if you will mm-hmm. yeah
2: Whatever. Over to you, Damien. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> hey, so I think it was the third or the fourth episode of the Rainmaker. You said that you were going to start taking voice lessons. Um, did you do that because someone made fun of you?
1: <laughs> no. In okay. fact, most people said you sound fine. Don't worry about it. Right. Um, and then I mainly it's because Robert is a professionally trained voice actor. As in addition to being, that's
2: why he sounds so good.
1: Yes. Damien. That's not natural natural talent. No, Damien. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so yeah, that was really what, um, what prompted that. But Robert said, just keep going. And general, you know, I trust what he says because he's not afraid to tell me (laughs) what he thinks at all. Um, (laughs) But he's noted that I've gotten better with every episode and I st- I'm getting really what it comes down to is I need to sound as natural as possible and I have a way to go but from looking into voice lessons practice is the most important thing that gets you better
2: So, so are I, you take are you taking lessons?
1: No, I'm just oh. I'm just doing Just do uh, it. I figure and the other interesting thing also is that the second season of new rainmaker, if you will, uh, we've already decided, um, how we're going to do that. And we will be playing to each other's strengths. So you might imagine whose voice you may hear more of. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> uh. <laughs> is that, is that a Darth Vader thing?
0: I know it's, they describe it as drama here in the effects page for Google hangout. So, <laughs> Ah, uh, these are all it built right to yeah, It's all—it's all built into Hangouts. Part of why we're doing this so we can show people the full breadth of capabilities that Hangouts have. All right. So let
2: me ask you. Let me ask you another question. So last week, uh, get get your thoughts on another um, scandal, if you will. Last week, Google <laughs> scandal.
1: <laughs> we're such nerds that we think any of this is scandal.
2: I know, right? <laughs> I <get> excited. <laughs> I know. Uh so last week Google pe- penalized a uh, huge blog guest blogging network, my guest blog. Um what's your response? Good, bad, indifferent? Why should writers uh care? Should writers fear Google and should writers ever guest post again?
1: This is an interesting question because when that network um, debuted, I asked Anne Smarty on Google Plus Please, I'm really interested. Please explain to me how this isn't going to get you penalized. <laughs> and she never responded to me. And then this happened, and I'm not going Schadenfreude on this at all. I mm-hmm. really wanted to know. But from my perspective, I'm like, that's what's going to happen to you. You know? Right. I th- I, 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 my entire uh, career, I guess, since starting CopyBlogger, was always never bet against Google. Mm -hmm. That was why, even back when the black hat stuff still worked better, um, I was straight and narrow, content, no buying links, no building links, attracting links, everything you have to do now, right? Mm -hmm. I was doing back then and teaching people and half the people listened and those people never got hit by Panda or Penguin or anything. The other half said, you're a loser, and they rebuilt their sites five times. So I hate waking up and having something I've worked hard on penalized or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it just makes me sick. And I know some really smart SEOs who love the challenge of, you know, outsmarting the current version of the algorithm, but uh, I don't like that. I love – that's the media approach, you know. You don't do – Three seasons of Seinfeld, thinking, "Well, this could get us thrown off the air, but we'll take that chance." Right? Well, no right. one does that, right? right? And that's the difference in mentality, right? right. So that's another example of what I mean by media, not marketing. You know, long-term value over short-term results. Mm-hmm. So, I I feel bad for all the people that got um, dinged by that, but I just thought that that seemed kind of like a foretold outcome based on how it was structured.
2: So guest, guest posting, is that still a legitimate strategy?
1: I think it is uh, in the way that it works offline. Like if you want to get published by The Atlantic, then you submit an article and they review it, and if it's up to their standards and fits their editorial mix, then they will edit it and they will publish it, like we do on Copyblogger, <laughs> right. Media, not marketing.
2: Media, that
1: marketing—that's pretty much the question. But yeah, Mm -hmm. this is the gist of what I'm trying to get across to people at New Rainmaker, which is everything you do that doesn't (laughs) mimic offline media is probably going to get you in trouble. Right now, that doesn't mean that there aren't things inherent about the online environment um, that allow you to scale in certain ways and do really cool things. But every time people try to Avoid just the basic work of producing media quality content, something bad tends to happen. Right.
0: (laughs) Okay, so one more quick pop culture question for you before I get to a question about our decision earlier this week to remove blog comments, which I know people will love to hear your thoughts on. I want to talk with you real quick about House of Cards. And let's say that we were casting House of Cards from the Copy Blogger universe. You might be Francis Underwood. Robert might be considered Doug Stamper. Sonia absolutely would not be Claire Underwood, but what I'm curious about is, who would be Raymond Tusk?:
1: Raymond is Francis's right-hand man that are we allowed to give spoilers? Um, no, yeah, we can give spoilers on that one. Wait, but I, I'm I'm blanking on the
0: name. So that's oh Tusk. He's uh, he's the guy that was opposing Francis Underwood. Oh, he, that... he had to go there and get his approval to be vice president in season. You mean one Warren and...
1: Buffett? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Warren Buffett would be Tusk. Okay, and well, you didn't know he was on our board of advisors. Yeah, well, there we go. Now we know. <laughs> so, um, who would in the copy blogger universe? Yeah, who would in the in Tusk? the copy universe. It's not so not necessarily. What's this guy like? He's like Warren Buffett.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Which> he's <laughs> like really well been, uh,
1: he's and, from and, St. And Louis, actually. Well, we don't know that Warren Buffett manipulates the political system behind the scenes, <laughs> but that's the implication, right? I mean, they did cast this guy in a very obvious way. Huh. I, you know, I don't know much about Warren Buffett, but, you know, anyway. Anyway. Um, yeah. In the Copyblogger universe, first I'd like to object that you think I'm Francis Underwood. <laughs> <laughs> I am nowhere near that good, but I'm working on it. Um, who would be Tusk? No one. I wish we had a Tusk. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bad, bad answer. <laughs> what? What? <laughs>
0: All right. Okay, so so let's move on here. Regarding b- comments on the blog. We recently closed them, obviously. When did you first consider closing them? I mean, obviously it's not something that was decided just in a day. When did you first get the inkling that it was something that you might want to do, might want to consider? Um, and, and I guess just your general thoughts on what the reaction's been and, and what you think of it so far.
1: First considered it about eight years ago. <laughs> <laughs> right um, around when the blog started and about 3 months in once the audience showed up I was like some of these people no <laughs> um, seriously though we've for probably the last 3 years it's interesting because feedback is such an important part of the model that we talk about and then at some point on copyblogger the feedback no longer played a role i think there is the life in a publication where you understand your audience from serving them year after year after year to the point where you'll see newbies come by and say something that reflects that they have no idea necessarily what they're talking about, but that doesn't make us change anything, right? Right. The feedback stopped impacting editorial um, as much as it does when you have a younger site. Okay, and that's really a good thing. In essence, you realize, and again, for three years we didn't just turn them off. We said, you know, maybe this feedback function is not as critical to our editorial direction as it used to be, because now Copyblogger reacts editorially more to, or it's always reacted within the context of the broader uh, industry of course, but it also reacted on a more personal level during the early days. So you'll notice that I went over to Entreproducer and started testing out my newer ideas with a new audience, a smaller audience, relished the feedback, and that's how New Rainmaker was developed. I've Mm -hmm. never said that out loud before, but that's the truth. (laughs) <laughs> so, so now, at New Rainmaker, as I said on Twitter today, we do have comments open because I still think at this stage, I really want that intimate feedback mechanism. Um, right. But, you know, on big sites like TechCrunch, for example, they have comments for page views. That's it. They don't care what you think, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so we everything we do is designed to have a purpose that is constructive and useful, and most of the best conversations that we have right now are on Google Plus, where people are who they say they are, not Seattle SEO services. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> They're still there, no. though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I mean, and again, the, the whole uh, misguided teaching uh, by some gurus of blog commenting as a traffic strategy—I had to fight that the whole time, and it's really annoying. Um, right. But yeah. Anyway, so yeah, no, I don't think every—I think comments are invaluable in a blog's life or a. We stopped being a blog a long time ago. When you think about it, but right, right. Um, at some point, they become more of a meaningless chore than they become a, any real value. When most of the best stuff is on Twitter and Google Plus, LinkedIn, Facebook, without the moderation, because we're answering people there already and moderating. How many a day, Jared? I I remember when you took over. I said, you haven't fun yet? And I was still (laughs) going in there and moderating comments because the spammers are so clever about the the ones that are borderline. Right. You're like reading it and you're like, oh, you are a total spammer, delete. (laughs) Yeah. But you don't just delete comments without really making that evaluation and that's not something that's quick you know that started slowing things down a lot Um, but I am I'm insanely anal about what appears on our site you know and if I let a spam comment slip through I'm embarrassed I'm mortified Mm -hmm. maybe I'm overreacting but that's how I've always approached copy blogger it's like our sacred ground this is our one place in the universe that we control you know the content and the quality and that's important
2: yeah, and the idea. Is...
1: Damien's getting annoyed with the applause. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
2: I wanted to say Jared, you look a lot like Wolverine.
1: He does. I, that's a good point. He does Thank look you. like Wolverine. Thank you. Know, like uh, And you look like our Lord and Savior. <laughs> <laughs> that's the new that's the
2: new name of the show right
1: Wolverine <laughs> and our Lord and Savior today on Google plus that's right so uh,
2: so but I mean, yeah you know like comments being like a user generated you know strategy also that idea of like you know an SEO strategy that went away a long time ago too it hasn't
1: been relevant in so long I can't believe it you know right, right. But on copyblogger you would always see the cycle there'd always be the class of whatever six months and then they'd finally give up and quit commenting on copy blogger. And then you'd see a new group of people who got the advice that you need to comment on big blogs. <laughs> all right. All right. It's not like we don't know that. All right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. All right. So, Hey, uh, I got one more final question. Um, so on your bio on, on um, copy blogger, it says you've been mentioned in 17 books. What is the most satisfying book to be mentioned in?
1: Lynchpin by Seth Godin. Why is that? Cause Cause it's it's, Seth? Because it's Seth Godin and it <laughs> was using me as an example of a lynchpin. That's pretty damn flattering, right is that there.
2: That it? is. It's better than a blog post. So. Good I on. was
1: actually mentioning Meatball Sunday and I'm like, Seth, thanks, but no one read that book. That's the worst title ever. Um, <laughs> so.
2: Yeah, I thought that was pretty bad too. <laughs> I let I let I let Seth know that, by the way.
1: No, actually, I'm honored to be mentioned anywhere. I mean, people don't realize they think that. Uh, oh well, you get mentioned a lot, then it, it means nothing to you. But no, it's always an honor for someone to write a book, which is torturous, <laughs> and you know, use you as an example. I think that's really cool. So that's why I always link to everyone's book, if I am aware of it, um, you know, a little give back, I guess. Plus, it doesn't hurt to say you've been mentioned in books. That's
2: That's why you're our CEO.
1: (laughs) It's going to be you guys going forward. (laughs) No one's going to know who I am, and that's Okay. (laughs) All right, so Damon, do you have a final tally? Then I will be Raymond Tusk at that point. <laughs> yeah, Guys, yes, we'll there you go. Pick it up a little. I will happily go be Raymond Tusk. Yeah. Well, in spite of uh... Frank Underwood has way too much exposure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true.
2: Uh, in spite of Jared's overzealous use of the applaud button... Um, I, <laughs>
1: I think he's been doing fantastic.
0: <laughs> Watch, I can also mute Damien, too. See, he's muted now, and he doesn't even know it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> okay, like, that wait, come back, Damien. I don't, <laughs> how do I unmute you? There you go. Are you back? No, he's still muted. Now me. I am there. Oh, there he there is. is. So,
2: just keep in mind, okay, this is a new world record on our show, so. <laughs>
0: New Nine point seven seven out of eleven for those listening on the podcast.
1: <laughs> and so basically, I got the trombone because I haven't seen The Wire. You know, <laughs> if you guys would work harder, I'd have more TV. T- <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Kind of, so we're get, we'll be seeing that memo later, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm gonna have an autoresponder watching the wire. Watching the wire Try that out yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much how it goes. All right,
0: thanks, Brian. All right, yep. Yeah, with that, uh, with that said, this episode of Hangout Hot Seat is over. We thank Brian Clark for joining us. Damian, thank you for the exuberant question asking. I uh, very much appreciate it, and we will uh, catch you next time. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Lead. Next week, we'll be back with our usual short, sweet, fifteen minutes or less format. But we will be doing new Hot Seat episodes in the future, so stay tuned. And if you like what you're hearing on these episodes, we'd sure appreciate a rating or a review on iTunes. And if you want to tell a friend or tweet about the show, we'd appreciate that too. All right, we'll have more insight and advice for you right here next week. Hope to see you here. Talk to you soon, everybody. So I wish I was a
2: slave to an age-old trade.
1: Lord have mercy on my rough-